0: Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full-screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. I wanted to just start by asking you guys to introduce yourselves um, separately at first, like who you are, what your role in the film is. Um, Yeah.
1: I'm Gabby Hayes, and I am the producer of the documentary Skid Row Marathon.
2: I'm Mark Hayes. Uh, I'm the director of Skid Row Marathon.
0: Mark and Gabby are married.
2: Who wants to know that? Yeah, (laughs) yes. Gabby and I are married. Yes. I had picked Gabby up hitchhiking in the former East Germany in 19... 85, before the Berlin Wall fell. And then we were married, and I moved over there and wound up living with her parents because they wouldn't let her out. They, Gabby was not allowed to leave until the wall fell in, in 1989.
0: They moved back to the States the same year. They've completed documentaries about the Berlin Wall, the Cold War. They now live in Los Angeles. Their current project started four years ago with an article in the L.A. Times. So
1: we read the article on a weekend. It must have been a Saturday or a Sunday before the L.A. Marathon. And uh, since I'm a runner, I really loved the article. And
0: I showed it to Mark. The article was about a judge.
2: Who was running down on Skid Row.
0: And not just running. He started a run club at the Midnight Mission, which is a homeless shelter for people with addiction issues. And I just want to jump in here to say, I realized last week's episode was also about addiction, but this is a very different story. So different, in fact, that I I did not even realize the overlapping themes until embarrassingly very recently. Anyways, back to it. The article that Gabby was reading really resonated with her. For one, she's a runner. She runs every day.
2: I mean, when I met Gabby... She was the fastest girl in her town. Gabi would run, kind of cross-country running, just for, for fun. And you told me, unless you were lying, you told me that you were one of the fastest people in the town, right?
1: I'm not the fastest,
0: but one of the fastest. I mean, so that's
2: pretty good. I, I, I couldn't say that I mean. for myself. I mean, I wasn't the fastest guy.
0: But the article stood out for another reason. We
1: also had lived downtown a few years before and thought, my God, that's really interesting. And we felt so hopeless when we were living downtown, seeing homeless people all the time in the streets. And
0: L.A. has the second largest homeless population in the country, behind New York. But Skid Row has the largest concentration. It's actually a pretty small area. It's less than one mile across. And to people
2: who are not from L.A., I mean, this is like... You would think you landed on a different planet or a a different country. It's just very hard to believe that in one of the richest countries in the United States, there are, you know, tens of thousands of people living on the street.
0: When they lived nearby, Gabby and Mark would hand out water on occasion. But overall, they felt helpless, like nothing they could do would make any measurable positive impact.
2: I remember Gabby saying, look, we can, let's go run with the judge. And when I found out that it was like 5.30 in the morning, I'm thinking, ah, maybe we could just meet the judge for coffee. You know, because I wasn't so anxious to get up so early.
0: The snooze button prevailed this time around. But Mark did call up the judge on Monday, and they did meet for coffee. When Mark and Gabby floated the idea of, you know, maybe filming the running group, the judge said...
1: You know, guys, I mean, it's very really tough to shoot on Skip Row, and these guys might be skeptical, and you have to really run with us first and to get their trust. And that's what we did. We ran for about four weeks.
2: So we, we started going down uh, really twice a week, I guess, about four years ago.
0: They figured at the time the documentary might take, you know, a year or so. They'd follow the judge and a few of the runners— You can become a runner in a year, right? And they would track everybody's progress. But as they showed up week after week, they began to get involved in the runners' lives. And they realized that running is just the catalyst. Change, real change. That doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a year. What they were seeing and experiencing, the friendships they made, it was all worth sticking around for. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. On each episode of Human Race, we tell stories about runners and the world of running. Today, a story reported over four years by Mark and Gabby Hayes. It begins in 2012 with a homeless shelter on Skid Row, a judge and an idea for a run club. It becomes a study in our capacity to change ourselves and others, one small step at a time. We follow one of the club's members from Seattle to Skid Row, from drug addiction to marathon participation. We're presenting a deeper dive into the lives of one of the five runners profiled in Mark and Gabby's documentary, Skid Row Marathon. Skid Row Marathon has its world premiere in a week and a half at the LA Film Festival on Saturday, June 17th. Today, you're going to get a special advanced peek into this remarkable group of runners.
3: And here we have a situation where three young men acquire weapons and a shooting took place.
0: This is Judge Craig Mitchell.
3: The fact that Mr. Williams possessed one of those weapons during the course of the altercation with the police requires the court impose 25 years to life.
0: Judge Mitchell is a part of the Superior Court of Los Angeles County. As a judge, it's his job to hear cases about how people have harmed other people. And then he determines their punishment. On this particular day, Judge Mitchell stands at the podium. He's tanned and sinewy.
3: The total state prison commitment for Mr. Williams is 71 years, four months to life. Thank you.
0: When the sentence was delivered, the defendant pulled up his shirt and cried into it revealing chains wrapped around his body. This is what Judge Mitchell does during the day. But in the morning, he runs with the Midnight Runners, a run club he founded on Skid Row. The club began back in 2012. It actually started with a request from someone the judge had sentenced to state prison.
3: And said, Judge Mitchell, do you remember me? And yes, I do remember you.
0: The defendant had represented himself in court. So instead of talking with the defendant's lawyer, there was an unusual amount of conversation between the judge and the man on trial.
3: And he said, well, I was paroled to the Midnight Mission, I'm getting my life together and I would really like you to come down and meet some of the people that I am spending every waking hour with, trying to deal with my addiction issues, trying to get on the right track. So I said, sure, I'll come down.
0: Judge Mitchell went to Skid Row and met with the staff of the Midnight Mission, including the shelter's president. And over the course of the conversation, the president of the mission asked Judge Mitchell,
3: Well, is there any way that you can think of that you could contribute to our program? And a couple of years before that, I had read an article in Runner's World where a woman on the East Coast had started a running club for ex-felons. And I said, well, you know, I'd be happy to try and get something of a similar vein underway at the Midnight Mission.
0: Judge Mitchell's goal was modest, to get some of the men, and it is mostly men, from the Midnight Mission to run with him, to run and talk. Because before he was a judge, Craig Mitchell was a prosecutor. And before that, he was Mr. Mitchell, a Catholic high school English teacher in South Central Los Angeles. In fact, he taught for 17 years. And over that time... He developed a fundamental belief in the power of conversation. Speaking of, I got him on the phone for this next part.
4: If you're willing to commit yourself and and put in the time and, you know, don't go home at 3 o'clock when the school bell rings, but stick around till 10 or 11 o'clock and have those moments, those quiet moments when kids who are, you know, facing some struggle in their life, you know, come up and say, Mr. Mitchell, I need to talk to you about something. And you say, great, let's, you know, go get a hamburger and let's talk. You know, that's where lives are changed. And and that lesson I learned really early
3: on.
0: In the beginning, five runners was an exceptional turnout. Often there were just a few.
3: What is funny, of course, is the person that actually got me down to the mission, uh, the parolee, never put on running shoes, and never participated in the program.
0: But those who showed up ran with shoes Judge Mitchell bought for them, or they were hand-me-downs from one of Judge Mitchell's friends. And often, they would just talk, just as Judge Mitchell had hoped. The running club became a part of Judge Mitchell's weekday routine, a welcome counterbalance to the psychologically heavy work of hearing about people harmed and handing out jail sentences. On Monday and Thursday mornings, Judge Mitchell would ride 13 miles from his home to the courthouse on his bike. Then he would leave his office and run a mile south through blocks of makeshift encampments, tents and blankets and cardboard and sleeping bags. Until he got to the midnight mission. Then he'd take whoever was there at 6 a.m. for a run. They'd go through Skid Row, over the Sixth Street Bridge, through Hollenbeck Park into an industrial area, and then back through little Tokyo to the Midnight Mission, where the first people to finish wait for the last people to finish. Many people tried out the group and then quit, sometimes because they couldn't commit to getting out the door by 6 a.m., others quit because they fell back into addiction. But for those who stuck around, the judge floated a more ambitious goal. Participate in a 10K, then two half-marathons, and finally, he guided the group through training for the L.A. Marathon. Nine members of the club signed up to run, and Judge Mitchell footed the bill. This was in 2013. And the article written in the L.A. Times about this group of recovering addicts joining the tens of thousands of others, it inspired Gabby and Mark to join the club and document it. At 6 a.m. one morning, a dozen or so runners congregated in the courtyard of the Midnight Mission. Mark and Gabby were filming. The people congregated there look like members of any other running group. They're stretching, chatting, except for the location. Here's Judge Mitchell.
3: We head out the door uh, at the Midnight Mission and step over the people who are laying down on the concrete uh, with all of their life's belongings, uh, you know, clustered around them.
0: And when you see the scene in the documentary, it's, it's shocking. There's a woman walking around with no shirt on, and it, it doesn't even seem that she's aware that she's missing her shirt. There are bodies everywhere, but, but once you get over the initial surprise of it, it's tempting to treat it as, like, sad scenery. The backdrop to the story about running But what's most startling is that the Midnight Mission runners, they're literally stepping over their past because their addiction issues led them to homelessness. If they're at the Midnight Mission, it means that they're sober, but the line between them and the people sleeping, it's pretty thin. The documentary highlights many of these incredible stories of the runners that are a part of this group. And with Mark and Gabby's help, Today, we're going to go deeper into one of them. We'll meet Rebecca after the break.
5: And we're back. I actually started running because um, I had a crush on someone. This is Rebecca. It's from an interview Mark and Gabby did for the film. I was running at um, at a health club on the treadmill. And I remember, oh, I ran a mile, you know, and I would post it on Facebook and just be like, whoa, I ran a mile. And and then I just kept pushing myself and pushing myself, trying to get the attention of this guy. And uh, and then I did, I did the 5K and the, the feeling of running across that finish line was so great. And I'm a pretty grandiose, balls to the wall, all or nothing person anyway. That's just my personality, I'm just, and so after I do this little 5K, never being a runner in my life, I decide I'm going to run the
0: L.A. Marathon. Rebecca was hooked. If you find you enjoy running, why not go big, right? But running and competing, this wasn't Rebecca fulfilling some long life goal. I was never involved in any kind of sports or anything as a kid,
5: and so running would be like the last thing that I thought I would ever get involved with.
0: Rebecca never did well at school. She says that growing up, she always thought that she was stupid. She started drinking and using drugs when she was 12, and at age 14, she was kicked out of school for drinking in a bathroom stall. She went into her first treatment program that same year, but it didn't stick. She hopped around schools and then dropped out. She got her GED in her early 20s and even attended some college. And she did well, but the drinking got in her way. Rebecca's addiction issues stalled her forward progress and put a strain on her relationships. But for as rocky as her situation was then, she made a decision that would make it much, much worse.
5: Actually, when I was two weeks shy of turning 21, I uh, got introduced to heroin and cocaine. um, And that brought me to a whole different level. I just started doing crazy things in order to maintain that addiction
0: which in time led to homelessness. This was in Seattle, where Rebecca grew up. She cycled through treatment centers, jails, and hospitals. She became estranged from her friends and family. She slept at a shelter during the day, and she used at night.
5: I was pretty much alone. I didn't have people that I ran with. There's really no one you can trust. There's no, um, you know, it, it, it's really cutthroat on the street. So I was I was alone. I just, I kept crossing that line that I never thought I would cross and um, you know at first it was terrifying living that lifestyle but it's weird because eventually
0: I got used to it. During the worst times she didn't think there was any way she could ever get sober. She didn't want to. But a drug arrest actually offered Rebecca an alternative. She could participate in a drug court program which meant that if she adhered to a strict set of rules, including getting and staying sober, the courts would drop the drug charge from her record. The program had structure and rules, strict ones, but Rebecca took the opportunity to try and improve her life. She went on methadone, which reduces the withdrawal symptoms from heroin, and she got sober. While she was sober, she had a son. She was on the right side of this thin line between sobriety and addiction, of being able to take care of herself and her son and not. She stayed there for three years.
5: I just, one day, I just, you know, um, I wanted a drink. Um, I went and I got a six-pack of Heineken. And I had two on my lunch break while I was at work. And that night, I threw something at my boss and got fired. (laughs) You know, like, I just... I've never been able to drink um, without severe consequences.
0: It dominoed after that. Her drinking led her back to cocaine and then heroin and back to homelessness. But this time around, she was also caring for her two and a half year old son. At some point, a friend intervened. He offered to fly Rebecca down to L.A. to live with her mom. And so she goes. But the situation didn't work out. She started drinking again.
5: I don't know exactly what happened. I think, I, I, I call it a moment of grace. You know, I don't know what else to call it. Um, I kind of see my life. And I see what, what kind of mother that I've turned into. And I want more for my son. And, uh, and I just can't live like that anymore. And I decided to get sober. But I also know... Um, that I can't get sober by myself.
0: Rebecca entered a 12-step program to help her secure her sobriety, and this was in 2011. Although getting sober was a massively important step, she looked around at her life, and it was in shambles. She had her son and a suitcase, and that was it. Rebecca moved into a three-bedroom house, but the house at one point had 27 people living in it. And the conditions were awful. It was filled with cockroaches, people living on top of each other. She was there for nine months before securing a spot in family housing at the Midnight Mission. It was there that she met Judge Mitchell.
4: The primary focus uh, of her at that point in life it was just maintaining her sobriety. She hadn't mended her relationships with family members. Um, it, it was pretty much at the beginning.
0: But she wasn't part of the group yet. She was marathon training on her own, which, you know, is hard to fit in for an average person. But on top of marathon training, Rebecca was homeless. She had a job and she was a single parent. She was involved in her 12-step program. She did train with another member of the Midnight Mission, but her schedule was so packed that they ended up running in the middle of the night. Even though Rebecca wasn't running with the club, she knew people who were.
5: And it just kind of seemed like a pipe dream at the time, you know, like unattainable, but... But there was also this thing in the back of my head after everything that i had been through because of my addiction, I was sick and tired of telling myself that I couldn't do it. I was sick and tired of it. And I saw the guys at the mission and I honestly thought, you know, if they could do it, I could do it.
0: Rebecca completed that marathon in 2013 in five hours and 13 minutes. She loved it. She didn't hit the wall. She just had a great time. Judge Mitchell was actually hosting a celebratory dinner in his chambers for members of the club that completed that race. And a friend of Rebecca's invited her. We had dinner and just the camaraderie that was there, you know, and
5: and then looking around the table and knowing the stories of all the guys that were there and myself included, it, it just blew me away. You know, it blew me away. And we just ran a marathon,
0: you know. Rebecca joined the club shortly after. But that was just the beginning. After the break, Judge Mitchell's modest running group gets an international upgrade. And we're back. The Midnight Mission is primarily a men's shelter. Family housing is a part of the organization, but it's separate. So when Rebecca joined the Midnight Runners after the LA Marathon, she was the only woman.
5: I honestly, I didn't think I would join a running club. I thought it was kind of corny to me, really. And it's still kind of corny to me, you know. But these guys, you know, being able to run and, and do marathons and, you know, on skid row, like that gets me. I, I just, um, we root for each other. And it's not, it's, it's on such a different level. And, you know, not only are the guys on the running club, you know, beating the odds by staying sober, but they're doing things that, that people who have never touched drugs I don't want to call them normal people, but people with non-drug addicts
0: are doing. Rebecca found a community. And I think it's impossible to overstate just how important finding this positive, supportive group on Skid Row is. They're in recovery in a place where the streets are just filled with people with addiction issues. Here's Judge Mitchell.
4: Um, People who have engaged in addiction, particularly for long periods of time, They're estranged from their family. Uh, They normally don't have the connections that people who work have. They're very isolated. And when they become active participants in the running club, they have an alternative family. Um, We had one of the guys running with us uh, not long ago, and one of the runners said, well, I'm going to miss a run next week because I have to go visit my family. And this particular runner immediately shouted to the rest of us, you are my family. I don't have to go anywhere. You know, to quote Aristotle, we are an associating being. You know, To be fully human, we have to enjoy connections to other people. And, and that's what the running club provides people in recovery.
0: Judge Mitchell thinks that this community... Might be the single greatest gift of the run club. Mark and Gabby have already wrapped up filming, obviously, but they're still members of the club too. Being with uh you know with the runners and
1: also sharing, you know, our experiences and sharing, you know, some love as well. And you know, we celebrate birthdays together, like let's say if somebody has a birthday on a certain running
0: day, we'll bring some cake down and share a cake and coffee with them on Skid Row. We'll It's a pretty amazing perspective Mark and Gabby have been able to capture over their years running with and filming the club. And one thing that struck me as I listened to their interviews for the film is just how one small success can act as fuel for another one. So Rebecca's 5K made her think, this previous non-runner, it made her think that maybe she could run a marathon. And after the marathon...
5: I realized I could do anything. I don't mean that in like an egotistical way, but I mean, if I work hard at something, I can do anything. And, you know, I never knew that before. I just kind of thought, as a drug addict, this is my lot in life. But what running did is it gave me my fight back.
0: It was like running a marathon was this proof of concept, concrete evidence that putting a plan in place and following it could reap extraordinary rewards. She was testing this theory in other areas of her life. She was going back to school. She loved science and anatomy. So Rebecca decided she wanted to train to become a surgical technician.
5: Boy, the obstacles. So many obstacles.
0: She had to figure out how to pay for school, how she was going to take care of her son, and how to participate in the program that was helping maintain her sobriety. All at the same time. But that wasn't even the half of it. Think about it. Rebecca's past would make her a very challenging hire for a hospital.
5: After I I get out of school, who's going to hire me? I have this criminal record. You know, I have drug problems, you know, drug felonies on my record. Uh...
0: Rebecca says the success she saw in her running and her 12-step program made her ask, but what if? What if, instead of tossing out the idea that she could have the job she really wanted, that she'd go full force for it? And actually, Judge Mitchell went through his own what-if revelation, not long after getting the running club off the ground.
3: Uh, I do run marathons overseas on a regular basis, and I thought, well, you know, why should I be the only one enjoying these experiences and having to tell them secondhand about what is going on in various places? Let's do one together.
0: In 2014, Judge Mitchell took three runners to Ghana, he largely footed the bill with a little help from some donations and a fundraiser. The next year, the group decided to go to Rome. In this time, the judge took 25 runners, Rebecca included. Going was more complicated than just buying a plane ticket. The judge fundraised for the runners, but he also put a significant amount of his own money into the event.
2: The trips aren't cheap. When we went to Rome... Well, I think the judge 000. said his yeah his credit card bill was $75,000. And I mean this is serious money when you have, you know, again he's got kids and he he has he has a family uh that's 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 a that's that's a lot of money, you know.
0: It meant getting passports and navigating parole officers. It was a very complicated endeavor. And for the runners, it meant overcoming pretty deeply entrenched feelings. One runner who'd been with the club since nearly the beginning admitted that he didn't feel worthy of the honor. It was a heartbreaking response. And at first, I, I really didn't understand why he would feel that way. I mean, he, in the film, he was sober, he'd completed marathons, he went to Ghana. But after years of being invisible, called a problem or a burden someone people look at with disdain or pity. Those labels can be hard to shake. Judge Mitchell hoped that the marathon in Rome could act as a mirror. Traveling that distance, running 26.2 miles, earning that medal. What the runners from the Midnight Mission, from Skid Row, what they accomplished there would be unmistakable. In fact, even without the marathon, Judge Mitchell had a model for how travel alone could transform.
3: People question, why are you spending this kind of money to take people halfway around the world? Pope Francis, many years ago, did essentially the same thing in Argentina. He would take poor people who did not have an opportunity to travel outside of Buenos Aires and give them a holiday, a trip to the ocean which they had never seen before. Pope Francis observed that by making this type of investment, giving people an opportunity that they would not otherwise have to travel, to see things that they hadn't seen before, would give them dignity. And that word stuck with me, giving another person dignity. Giving someone from Skid Row an opportunity to come to a glorious city is incredibly empowering. It gives them dignity, and that's what this is about.
0: The morning of the marathon, Rebecca was in her hotel room in Rome. She checked Facebook and saw a video that her son posted. Good luck on your marathon, Mom! (laughs) The film crew was there with her as she tied her shoes.
5: I don't want to think about how difficult it's going to be in the rain and any of the obstacles that lay ahead. I just focused on finishing and... I feel pretty confident that I will.
0: Judge Mitchell, Rebecca, and the rest of the midnight runners take off through the cobbled streets of Rome. It's raining and they're wearing yellow ponchos. It It was raining, it was cold, I wasn't dressed appropriately. Now, Rebecca went into this race a little cocky, and that's her word, not mine. She had completed the LA Marathon, and she'd done another one in Seattle, actually. But as a single mom and a homeless one she was busy. I hadn't trained
5: as much as I would have liked to uh, and so by mile 10 I'm just I'm done I just I, I don't want to you know I don't want to finish this marathon and, and I run into the cameraman actually. She <laughs> ran into Mark.
2: I see Rebecca completely drenched she was not feeling well.
5: I smoked a cigarette at mile 18 while I was on the course and
0: um, you know, I just had a really hard time. In the moment, the wheels were falling off. Rome was her third marathon. In fact, at the one she ran in Seattle, she said she felt like she was being carried on angels. There was no wall. She had family there. She felt like she was flying. But there she was, in this incredible city, with this group of people that means so much to her. And she's having a really tough time. Like. <laughs> It took her over six hours, but Rebecca finished. In fact, all of the runners did.
5: I just think about my son and, uh, You know, like, I want my son to dream big, too, now. You know what I mean? Like, he can... we can stop this cycle now, you know? And, um, it's just... It's such a big deal being here. It's not just about homeless people running in Rome, you know? Like, it's a... It's about all the people at the Midnight Mission and all my friends and, you know, my family. And and they're just watching this and it's inspiring them. It's
0: such a big deal. Rebecca said that Rome shattered some of the labels that she and others had applied to herself. She said it did give her dignity and strength and self-esteem. All qualities that she can use to inspire her son. Over the four years Mark and Gabby documented Judge Mitchell's running club, they saw dreams expand. Rebecca completed five marathons in two years, including one she ran internationally. In 2016, she ran with the club again in Vietnam. She also completed her schooling to become a surgical tech, despite not knowing if she'd ever be able to get a job. But two years ago, she arrived to the run club and made an announcement.
5: I got two job offers in Seattle. One for ambulatory surgery and one for labor and delivery at two prestigious hospitals in Seattle. And I decided to take the labor and delivery job and I start uh, July 6th.
0: Amazing. She still works at that hospital today. In the beginning of the episode, Mark and Gabby talked about how they were drawn to Judge Mitchell and the running club because it looked like he was doing something that had the potential to really make a difference. But the magnitude of that difference, none of them, not Judge Mitchell, not Mark, not Gabby, I don't think any of them were prepared for just how profound that has turned out to be.
4: You know, there, there's perhaps a stereotypical perception of people who are homeless, people who are addicted, that they have inherent limitations that sort of condemn this them to this uh, circumstance. And Rebecca just blows that stereotype right out of the water. Because once you free her from the addiction, once you free her from homelessness, you see, oh my God, you have an incredibly intelligent woman who, is wise, who is compassionate, who has all these wonderful qualities, you know, and (laughs) there are a lot of folks like Rebecca on Skid Row.
0: Judge Mitchell tries to reach them through his run club, on Skid Row, before they reach his court.
4: You know, what do I do as a judge for a significant portion of every day? I determine how much time I am going to separate a person from the community, and when I work with individuals in the running club, you know, it's what, how can I empower these people to overcome their addiction, maintain their sobriety, so that the community is better off as a result? Uh, it's, that's the distinction that I see.
0: So Judge Mitchell will continue, continue to run on Skid Row on Monday and Thursdays talking and planning and traveling with anyone who'd like to join and you know to think that you just threw up your hand and you're like sure i'll start a running club kind of looking back on it now
4: (laughs) uh, how many parents have felt the same thing you know you you, okay you know okay dear you just told me that you're pregnant then you know then Nine, ten months later, you've you've got this child in your arms and you, I mean, you go, oh my God, you're still coming to terms with something that you probably didn't give a whole heck of a lot of thought to. And and now it's the absolute most important thing in your life and, and will be for the duration of your life.
0: This episode was produced by me, Rachel Swaby. The interviews for this episode were conducted over the course of four years by Mark and Gabby Hayes for the great documentary, Skid Row Marathon. More information about that in a minute. This episode got feedback from Brian Dalek, Sylvia Ryerson, and Christine Fennessy. Host music by Danny Koch. David Willey was the founding editor-in-chief of Human Race. Human Race is a proud part of Panoply. Okay, skid row marathon is the title of the movie that mark and gabby made and if you live in the la area you should go see the documentary it's part of the la film festival and you can see it on june 17th at 12 p.m get your tickets do get your tickets and i just want to make sure that you know it is so much more than we presented here today truly the the documentary follows many more runners with equally if not more astounding stories Trust me on this, you will want to watch until the very last second. There's still an aha moment at the very end. If you don't live in the LA area, you can get more information about where to see Skid Row Marathon in the future on the movie's website. That's skidrowmarathon.com. We'll be back to our regular every other Tuesday schedule in two weeks.